1: Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA. That's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we've got Carrie Butler on the show, an awesome Broadway actress and fellow podcast host. And we're doing something a little fun and special with this episode in that we're gonna be releasing this interview in both So, hello to Carrie listeners who are new to this pod. And to our listeners, I hope you enjoy getting to hear Carrie and also check out her podcast called Breaking Broadway, also part of this very Broadway podcast network where you're listening to this show as we speak. Um, To all, I hope you're enjoying your falls. Can you believe Thanksgiving is like next week? I was like really snuck up on me in this year. Um, We're hosting and very excited for some family cooking time. I myself am not a great chef, but I am a very dedicated sous chef and Solvi loves to make a mess in the kitchen. So it should be a really fun time. Um, For those seniors deep in your college journeys, you know you all have a big deadline day coming up on December 1st. That's not all your schools that are there. Some are actually a little earlier, some are even later, but that's a very popular deadline day for a lot of schools with those artistic um, applications. So I hope any of you have any pending application, whether it's a pre-screen that's due, whether it's part of the application, I hope you're working diligently away at those. Give yourself the gift of a relaxing thanksgiving break by not having it overwhelmed with guilty procrastination. That is, boy, that's a big do what I say and not what I used to do situation if I've ever heard one. But hopefully you're wiser than I was when I was your age. For our juniors, speaking of getting an early start, it was so great meeting many of you at our online workshop a few weeks back. I hope I will see many of you at our upcoming junior weekend. That's December 2nd and 3rd, both in person in New York City and online. It features a monologue, song and dance class, as well as an informational meeting. It is a great way to kick off the year and see where you are in your process. as well as where you want to get to in the course of the next year so please join us for that you don't have to be an mtca student already to join that event and again there's no obligation beyond that event so i hope i see many of you at that junior weekend um shall we get to it i hope you enjoy this interview with the great carrie butler and i'll see you on the other side for a takeaway Well, we are so excited to be joined by Carrie Butler. Uh, Carrie has a BFA from Ithaca College. Uh, She's been on Broadway in all kinds of stuff. Too Many to Name, Beetlejuice, Mean Girls, Catch Me If You Can, Rock of Ages, Xanadu, for which she received a Tony nom, many more. She was in... Bat Boy, which I saw when I was a wee lad and was so <laughs> blown away by both you and Caitlin, we've already had on the pod. Um, so cool. All over television and film in Gilmer Girls, The Mindy Project, 30 Rock, many more, and also a fellow podcast host, the host of Breaking Broadway. So I'm really excited to talk shop, get inside baseball on some of the inside baseball. Um, <laughs> Carrie, how are you? Welcome on the show.
0: I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, I know we're going to do a little back and forth. We'll do, we're going to make this kind of a home and home situation. So, um, this can be a pretty free ranging convo. I would love to start us off, if you don't mind, with the first question I ask all of my guests, which is just, if you could take us back to you around 17 or whenever you were looking at colleges, really, I'd just love to hear of, like, what were you thinking about in terms of like, Sometimes with our students, we talk, like, what's your mission statement? What are you looking for in a college experience? What were you hoping for as you were applying and thinking about this whole process?
0: Sure. Um, So I was already professional. I had already, like, had an agent. I've been doing commercials since I was, like, nine. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in Brooklyn, so it was easy for me to commute into the city to see shows all the time. Um, I had been auditioning for Broadway shows but hadn't gotten any. Mm -hmm. had only really done TV and film. And – So I feel like from a college perspective, I was hoping that that would kind of push me over the edge. Like I would get – find out what I was doing wrong, why I wasn't getting stuff, and um, help me to become a much better actress than I was. Yeah. Um, And – but it's funny. Growing up in Brooklyn, we didn't – I didn't go to like a fancy high school. I mean, Mm -hmm. my school had like zero arts. And – uh no one was guiding me to uh-huh. – I didn't really know any of the good schools. And back then, <laughs> I'm old, there were like very few, like five programs, five musical mm-hmm. theater programs to choose mm-hmm. from. So I knew Carnegie Mellon. I guess I knew Boston. Um, and I had done um, a cabaret in the city. I used to do, you know, things like that for free all the time. And someone in the cabaret who I thought was fantastic had gone to Ithaca mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh wow, if she went to Ithaca, then it must be a good program. And I went there and kind of fell in love with the school and with the campus. Because being in Brooklyn, I had never been in the uh-huh. suburbs really.
1: <laughs> and so that's Elizabeth's dream for Sova is like, can we go to an upstate school so that I can get out of the city? I'm like, all yes. right, careful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I would say my dream was getting out of the city and also getting a really great theater education. Yeah.
1: And you definitely wanted more training. It, it wasn't like you're like, I just want a college experience, but I'm already working as a professional. You know, we've had some people on, uh, Krista Rodriguez was sort of felt like, she kind of was like, I feel pretty cooked. I mean, she went to NYU for a couple of years, but she felt like ready to go. You didn't feel at 17, 18, like I'm basically ready to work. I don't need the four years of training. You felt like you did want that training.
0: I didn't. I feel like by senior year, I was ready. Then uh-huh. I, I thought about not staying for my senior year because it is so expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, But I'm glad I did.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. And then just give us, I'm sure you did some of this on your pod already. I'm sure some people have heard your journey from sort of college to, you already had representation, it sounds like, but continuing representation to now actually book in all these Broadway shows and the star you've become. Can you give us the, maybe the Cliff Notes version of what was that like then graduating and then sort of hitting the industry, breaking Broadway as you've done?
0: Sure. So um, I had an agent uh, and... But again, they didn't – they weren't – They were, I was like a really, really big booker of commercials, but they were not confident in my acting ability. So mm-hmm. they wouldn't send me out. And um, when I was at school, you know, once things – at first, also I want to say for everybody, I almost got kicked out of my program. You know, I wasn't somebody who like glided through and got the leads in every show. I got one of those letters. A rebel. You know, like you're not, it's not working for you.
1: <laughs> and what wasn't working for you? Was it was uh, performance related or was yeah. it behavioral yeah. or what were you not doing? Oh, no, not behavior. No, no. I was like, Carrie, tell us the details. The but college. I think they
0: just didn't think I was good. I don't uh-huh. think they was good, good enough wow. or something. Um, I think that's, and this is something I always say when I'm teaching, I think – you know, part of it is like just being able to take rejection and just mm-hmm. be able to take criticism and like push yourself more and not let it break you. because mm-hmm. because the people from my school, so many of them were much more talented than me, but they don't have the career that I mm-hmm. had, uh, and I think partially because I can just like let things go and not that's not so take interesting.
1: That that when they receive that negative feedback, it may have crushed them. Where you go, that's a letter. All right, that's going to push me to work harder.
0: That's right. And I'm going to
1: go to that next. Life. That's right. And and the letter you're speaking of, just as, you know, this is now in the world of sort of informal cut programs. Yes, what's so still around. That's right. The letter means it was sort of a probationary. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so you're on this is. This fear, then, you know, I've been doing this college process for 20 years now, this pervaded for years after this sort of cut program still existed, where every parent would say, I don't want this. I don't want a cut program. I was so scared of this idea of a, of a cut program." But just maybe do you mind informing listeners a little bit, like, what are you talking about with these, these letters?
0: Yeah, so basically that that it's probation. I guess you know, if you don't improve then you can stay in the school but you're out of the acting program. The acting program was very small. I feel like there were maybe 30 kids in my class and we did all of our classes together. Uh-huh. And it was a full musical theater, so it was basically a double major because musical theater majors back then were even, like, new. Uh And so I had, like, you know, all the classes in the music school, which Ithaca is known for their music school. And then I had all the separate classes in the acting school. And uh, the music school I wasn't on probation with. I was on probation with the acting uh, because they just didn't think I was – getting it, I guess.
1: It's such a foreign idea, I think. To, maybe it's just a parenting difference. I mean, I'm on the, we're on the opposite ends, I guess, of the parenting spectrum of I'm really, I've got a, a toddler and uh, mm-hmm. I'm have one who's about to go to college. But like, I cannot imagine, you know, getting a probationary letter about my child because their acting talent wasn't up to snuff. I'd be like, what is she doing <laughs> wrong? Like, so she, you know, bullying kids or she, you know, it's like <laughs> the idea of being like, oh no, she might not get to stay in the school because we don't think her acting talent is, is good enough.
0: Do
1: they not do insane. that anymore? No. That's not
0: Oh, really? That's done. I mean,
1: really, there there will be schools where they would say, you know, if you're not keeping up with the work, would, you know, say, Hey, you're not you're not keeping up with class, you're not attending class, you're not. But now, once you've done this rigorous, crazy audition process, too many people I mean, once you've gotten into a one percent school or something and you did right. the pre screens, you did the whatever, to then be told freshman year, you know what, it's not your fault at all. We just don't think you're up to snuff, feels mm-hmm. so insulting and feels so like uh, it can't be right. Whereas I think that that exists a little bit more, maybe when the there wasn't quite as much rigor on the the cut of the of getting in, right? Where it wasn't quite as hard to get in, and so then they're like, we'll get to know you a little bit, and then we'll do the real evaluation of who's got it.
0: Yeah, and and also, I mean, so much of it is um, objective, right? Like one person doesn't think you have I mean, it. Subjective, some- yeah. I mean, subjective, yeah. Yes, totally. It's their own… It's acting talent. Like, what is this? I think especially with acting, when I teach people, like, I would never tell anybody, you don't have what it takes. I might say you need more work, but, you know…
1: Well, and even when you talk about acting in general, yeah, it is so subjective. It's like, yeah. I, I think that feels really truthful. It's like, but that's to me. I mean, that's, uh, you know, to me, the truth is one thing, but that doesn't mean that is truthful or that is fake or that is, you know.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so I went through that whole thing and uh, I auditioned for my agents and um, with work I had done at college. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, in college, you don't really always necessarily work on things that are marketable. Uh-huh. So I went into my um, big – they were a big agency, one of the top agents, with a monologue um, by Ionesco.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> They're like, this is exactly what we would hoping for. We're just – we want some Give great me, Ionesco. Oh,
0: uh, <laughs> Clicking of the mouth.
1: Oh, yes. Like, oh, yes.
0: No, I'm thinking like, well, this is what they want. This is they want me to be a real actor. Obviously. I'm a real actor
1: now, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah.
0: So I did it, and they were like, um, can you just come in and do something? Be yourself, uh-huh. like, do if you can be yourself, we can work with you. Uh-huh. So, uh, anyway, you know, I, at a certain point you're like, mm, these people just don't believe in me, you yeah. know, and so I did the college showcase. And I got a new agent from my Mm -hmm. college showcase. And I stayed with the other agents. I stayed with the other agent for commercials because they always send me out. And I had this new agent for um, legit work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, I think my first, I got my first job while I was still in college. Uh I got the European tour of Oklahoma. Oh my. Through Germany.
1: Oh my. Which you're going to try to do virtually while you're attending school. How does that work?
0: Well, I got it and then I knew right when I left school. So oh, it was, so right was after like, you, you know, amazing. you leave college and you get to backpack. I got to backpack so cool. doing a show. That's so cool. Uh yeah. so it was amazing, an amazing experience, crazy experience because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it wasn't equity and so we were like driving 6 hours to the next city in some part of Germany. On the wrong all of side our, side our of the stuff was on What's the happening? bus. Yeah. Our bus got stolen. Oh my god. <laughs> With all of our stuff on board. Unbelievable. It was, I mean, like the stories I have from that store tour are crazy, but amazing job for my first uh-huh. job out. And I ended up getting nodes on my vocal cords. I played Ado Annie and I literally Oof. couldn't know. Um, because I never, my school never taught me to belt correctly. Uh-huh. So it was like they taught me classically training. Mm-hmm. But because musical theater was so new and I think it's still like, I don't think many people still teach like mix mix. Mm-hmm. So I never learned that and I got notes on my vocal cords, I had to leave the tour. And then uh, I started studying with Liz Kaplan and then that's where I really found like how to be healthy, how to sing uh-huh. the way I wanna sing, belting but do it healthy and be able to do it eight times a week.
1: So cool. I mean, What what a journey, what a way to learn those lessons. Um, yeah did you know at 17, 18, did you know specifically was musical theater? You talk about it being kind of a newer major. Did you know, hey, I want to be specifically on Broadway as opposed to like just an actor in TV. Oh, I
0: 100% knew that.
1: You knew you wanted to sing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like one of my friends from school just recently told me, I don't remember this, but she said like we got asked at, you know, um, when you come into the city and do all those workshops and stuff before the we would have, I can't remember, but we were meeting with industry people. Mm -hmm. And there was some kind of like, you know, positive thing. And I was like, I want to be on Broadway within five years. And she was like, and you were on Broadway within one year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And like nobody else put anything like that down on the paper. But she was like, you knew.
1: You knew. That's visualization. You're putting it on the poster board and and making it real. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a couple questions about this later, but I'd love to maybe dive into, you talked about um, marketing yourself. And, you know, we've asked a number of. Uh, successful industry people sort of what their relationship with type is. Um, You know, we sort of certainly talk on the college end, the kind of traps of type of like, you know, certainly with MTCA, our philosophy in the college process, please do not limit yourself to like, this is how you think the world is going to view you. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play princesses. I should do a princess kind of song. We definitely disagree with that. Right. But now you're talking about, try to reconcile the the Ionesco stuff you work on in college with sort of what is marketable and and what you think you're gonna get cast as. What has your relationship with with type or with branding or marketing or however you wanna think of it in terms of how you've sold yourself to the world um to to be as successful as you've been?
0: Yeah, I think going out, you know, I looked super young. So that was really helpful. I could play a 16 year old for like 15 you still could, years. Gary, maybe it's a
1: good filter, but I think you still could play 16, I believe it.
0: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um so I knew that you, and and here's another thing I tell college students like some people don't grow you're you're in college and you're playing 30 year olds when you get out mm-hmm. into the world like that's kind of where you live. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get work for a while because there are 35-year-olds who are going to nail that part and they're going to get those parts. So you're going to have to wait it out. Mm -hmm. And so I would say for those people like, don't come to New York until it's Mm -hmm. your time. Um, But so for me, it was my time. I had to, I knew playing young was my thing. And um, sure enough, like my first Broadway show that I got right after that tour was Blood Brothers. And I played like you know, a 10-year-old. We to play kids in the show. And then mm-hmm. I also – play. I understood and played adults too, but I had to have that range. I had to be able to be re- really childlike. So I knew – and I feel like the stuff I learned in college, all of that kind of pushing you from the boxes that we put ourselves into, that's kind of helped me have a career. Mm-hmm. So – and for me – once you're in that box, like oh, she's the cute musical theater girl, yep. then you have to kind of like take the chisel and start like showing them that you can do other stuff. And so that's when I would do like free stuff of things that no one would expect me doing.
1: Uh huh. So you're still maybe making some. You may be doing a third Broadway show where you go, all right, I'm castable as this thing, and I'm not going to resist it completely. But I want to show everyone the world. Look, I can also do this. Was there a point where you said like I'm not going to take another role? as a child, or I'm not going to take another role that feels like it's, it's you know, now starting to limit me box-wise. Did you think about that in t- at times of your career where you go, all right, now for this project, I have to pick something that is different in some way or that somehow subverts my quote-unquote type?
0: I definitely would still be playing 16-year-olds if I could. Like, <laughs> just, 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 out there. That was never an issue for me. I was like, yes, I still got it.
1: Yep. <laughs> you know, that's almost exactly what Celia said. Celia, Kenny Bolger came on the pod and, you know, I sort of asked, I was like, oh man, it seems like you've been traveling a lot of kids. She was like, I'd play it. i keep doing it if I could. She was like, I played it three years ago or whatever. I'm like, yeah, yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah. But I did make conscious um, choices to take readings or to take um, out of town shows in parts that uh, people wouldn't expect me. So then I could have my resume. I could talk about it. Um, so I, I wouldn't turn down necessarily. I've never turned down things. I've turned down uh-huh. auditions for things that I didn't want to do, but I've never turned down actual jobs. It's more about like in the downtime that we all have yep. <laughs> in those dry spells where you're like, well, am I ever going to work again? Yep. Those are the times I, I, I kind of looked for uh, ways to break out of my box.
1: Yep. Well, and how did you decide? Because obviously you did get to a point, you know, and again, if you want to give us a little more of here to here to here in terms of the, the, the jumps of, of what happened, but you have to get to a point pretty quickly where you had the luxury of choice. You know, I know I might still feel like, oh gosh, I'm never going to work again. But, but on some level you might say, I've done five Broadway shows now. I do think there is another one coming at some point. Um, you know, how did you choose what projects to work on? I, I feel like that's something Elizabeth and I have talked about a lot now that like, once you've achieved a certain level of success, it's sometimes harder to like, what kind of workshop am I going to take? What kind of out of town thing am I going to take that might turn into the thing that is really exciting? Like, How do you make the choices of going, I believe in this project, I think it's worth um, investing my time into, especially in those, those early stages?
0: For the most part, I didn't make those choices. I felt like I trusted the uh, universe and, mm. and the best choices were made for me. Um, in terms of like Bad Boy, I had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. If I was if I was given a, a Broadway show over Bad Boy, I probably would have taken it, and it uh-huh. could have been a flop. But I didn't. But it's like so many times when you're in it, it's so hard to know. And and for those who don't know, Bad Boy was like an amazing show, and it actually, even though it was off Broadway, it definitely put me on my ma- on the map. Mm-hmm. I got hairspray, I think, because they saw me in Bad Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, in
1: some ways, I you know wonder in the conversation of type too. It, it was a fun kind of subversion of if we saw you as this like sweet, innocent. Even though you kind of were playing that, but the show was so funky and weird that you got to kind of break out of that.
0: Yeah, I was I was very bratty in that yeah. show and, and and off kilter kind of. Yep. Um So I would make the choices over putting my family. Those are the things mm-hmm. like I would say. I oh okay so here's an example so recently I was um, I was working on National Lampoon's Vacation for a long time mm-hmm. um, I thought it was a really fun project really like good part for me since I'm a mom um, and they they weren't going with me the whole time they were like this is your part mm-hmm. it's you it's all you blah 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 and then they uh, told me it was going out of town and. Um, they said, you have to go. And it, it was much longer than I ha- mm-hmm. had originally been told. And they were like, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to – otherwise, we're going to find – we have to find somebody else. And mm-hmm. I was like – and so I wasn't sure what to do. And I was doing Beetlejuice at the same time. And my daughter said to me, but mommy, why would you leave us when you're already doing another show? Mm-hmm. Because even though I'm doing Beetlejuice, like I'll still be with them all during the day. And we made right. all these plans. Like I put on um, shows with her and her friends in our garage. So we were doing a lot of fun. We had all these mm-hmm. plans, like what show are we you going to do this summer? And we were talking about it. And so- She's it like, you're mean, doing two
1: shows. You're doing a Beetlejuice yes. and the show in our garage. You're, I got two yeah, shows. You don't garage, need another, yeah. mom.
0: Come on. And so it would mean uh, leaving her and going uh-huh. off to- I don't remember where, maybe California or something, Mm -hmm. to do this other show. And so I went to them. I said, my daughter said this to me and like, I don't have, I can't be like, well, this could catapult my career. You know, I can't, I can't be like that to her because she's, she's right. I'm working. Why? I don't, we don't need the money because I have a job. Why Mm -hmm. would you leave me Mm -hmm. (laughs) to go do that? So those are the kind of decisions that I've had to make basically on my family.
1: And early on, are you sort of more listening to agents? Is that sort of guiding you? Do, do you have a manager at this point? Do you have you know? Are you talking to other friends of just going what what seems like the place I should be investing my time and my my money in terms of relationships? In terms, you know, is it about the people you want to work with? I, I guess you know, once you have that luxury of choice, and I don't mean to overemphasize, like well, you always had six shows sitting on your lap yeah. that you could choose between. Yeah, but I did you know, not. <laughs> but but what are you thinking about in terms of just as you're trying to. Uh, I think it's it's impressive to book a Broadway show to, for anyone to break into Broadway is impressive but also even more impressive to sustain that career of going show and then another show another show so as you're trying to establish that career was it all let go and let god and I'll see what the the projects come or or were there was there any kind of strategic um thought I guess behind I think I want to do more of this I think I, think there I need to do was a strategic
0: thought in my own mind and it went against my agents a lot mm-hmm. and my managers a lot um my strategic thought was I want to be a working actor Uh And so after I did Xanadu and I was nominated for a Tony for the best actress, the thing I did next, which really surprised people, was a very small role in Catch Me If You Can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people didn't really want – I had to take a pay cut. People didn't really want me to do it. Mm -hmm. But I loved that show. I loved those people. um, And I loved this part. And I thought, I want to sing this – I don't want someone else singing this song every single night. And – and so those are the things, you know, like I like playing the lead one time and then playing a supporting character mm-hmm. and find, I like the joy of working. I like the joy of challenging myself and finding different Kind of things, and so I go against my agents all the time.
1: Well, no, <laughs> they don't that's like me. Almost exactly what I was what I was getting at is I, I do think those are often really tough decisions, and often happen before a level of huge success. I mean, so often young actors are told, "No, no, don't take that part. We need to keep you available for pilot season." Yeah like I'm not even working. Like I haven't even done anything yet. Like
0: yeah, my agents would tell me that all the time.
1: They're just like, "No, there's a lot of buzz about you. A lot of buzz." You're like, "So I'm, for for the sake of buzz, I'm going to turn down these jobs."
0: I made that mistake like several times, so I feel like uh-huh. I learned from that. Like I'm. Not waiting around for to get a pilot. If I do, we'll see what happens. Or right. you know,
1: and it's not to say that's always the wrong decision because then then you book the huge. Some people do, right. and that's and they book the right. huge hit, and it's amazing. And you know, but but I do think it's um, especially coming from the world of like okay. So let's say you are an MTCA student if you're listening to this, and you've had like supportive mentors help you to college. Then you have these amazing college professors. They help you through that part, part of your four years, right? And then you graduate into the world and often though not always some people do have this wonderful supportive relationship with their their representation but i think often there is that almost adversarial i mean it's 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 not like a negative experience but they are there to make money they're there to say hey no this is not the right decision for you You should do this and it's not nuanced and kind and guided and and warm in the same way that i think you will often be used to from 17 to 22 to all of a sudden be like oh gosh i'm a grown-up now i gotta i gotta make these decisions for myself It, it can be really tricky
0: i mean one decision i made uh that I regret a little bit, but I mean, I, I'm happy. I love being on stage. And so I think that's the difference too. Like I don't mm-hmm. need to be a star. I love, I love being on stage more than being in TV film. But I got the callback for Glee.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I turned it down because my husband was like, What are you gonna do? Like, my job is here. You're gonna be going off to LA and da-da-da-da-da, you know, and like leaving, you know, we're gonna have kids. And so so I I huh. passed on that.
1: You're like, uh whoops, your agents were thrilled about that. But you like, thank you for that pass.
0: For sure. Uh, when I, in those moments when I was like the it girl and you know, mm-hmm. getting a lot of buzz on TV, my agents weren't happy with me because I would turn to I would pass a lot of, of stuff and like that. You,
1: you were gonna be Matthew Morrison on Glee is what you're telling me. So we're breaking that <laughs> on exactly the right. That's what you call back <laughs> for? I got it. Interesting. Very But interesting.
0: it all worked out the way it was meant to be. He he uh, he would have he was much better in the part than me.
1: Yeah. That's well, you know, that's that's yeah. that's why you have to let go and look up. That's it. Um yeah. all right, I'm gonna ask my my first sort of complimentary question about you. I, I hinted at this in our, our pre interview, but you know, I often Anytime we have kind of a well known guest on the pod that I don't know personally, I often ask Elizabeth, like, what's your one word impression of someone? What's like the thing that you, you know, you, what do you think about this person? What, what's what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Because I'm trying to often burrow in on like, what is their superpower? What's something that we can kind of elucidate for our listeners that of how they've been so successful in the business? You know, maybe they're really charismatic or they're great at vulnerability or what it's so that kind of thing. And the word she said for you was kindness. She was like, Carrie oh. is such a kind person. That's the impression I always get from anything that I, I, I know about her. So first off, I guess, is that a label you wear consciously? Is that something you actively try to lead with kindness? It's, you know, I know everyone wants to be kind, but, you know, from a, a business perspective, is that something that maybe you're aware is, your, is a represent, uh, reputation and something you try to um, foster?
0: Um, that is very, very nice. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, uh I definitely, uh, I try to be a light. I try to be a light wherever I go. In all of my shows, I try to be the person who's looking out for people. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to be there if I see someone struggling. Um, So I would say that is a goal of mine, Mm -hmm. not for business purposes, just for me in life.
1: (laughs) And of course we know it's, yeah, I would not say, oh, this is a Machiavellian strategy to sort of pretend to be kind or whatever. But, <laughs> but can you think of, I guess I'm, I, I want to throw out there, like, can you think of areas in, in your career or moments when you think the fact that you do lead with kindness has actually benefited you that way? that Where you've now, someone's wanted to work with you because they've said, you know, I think she's just so nice. It's not about her talent. It is about the fact that she's really kind.
0: I don't know specific things, but I do know for sure that happens. Like, Alex Timbers has called me up and asked mm-hmm. me, like, is this person nice? Mm-hmm. I only want to work with nice people. <laughs> and, and so it definitely goes far. It definitely makes people want to work with you again if you're mm-hmm. easy and just not a lot of drama, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so I don't even know if it's nice. I think it's more like just easygoing, easy. P- like People yes you want to hang out
1: with, yeah.
0: And uh and not no, not giving into drama, being a team player.
1: Yeah, well, and I think again, it's you know talking about that sort of adversarial relationship with agents. You know, I think I think many people in this business, most very successful artists that you could name, are extremely kind people. You know, I think it's why they've been able to sustain a, a career. But I think it's not always the impression that people have of the industry from the outside. You know, people talk about it being such a competitive. Cutthroat business—it's so hard out there. Which, of course, it is—you know—to to break into the business. But then, all the their favorite actors are these incredibly kind, generous, warm people. I, I Where where do you see that dissonance? Why is that true? Why do we see this as you know? There's all these nice people. Alex Timbers is so nice. He, he wants to work yes. with nice people. But yeah. then also people are feeling like I'm you know pulling legs down to try to bang at the door of, to meet Alex Timbers or to you know sort of find that you know. Success for yeah, myself.
0: I don't. I don't know. I think it's like just the stereotype that gets played out in movies and 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 things like that. You know. Um, I mean, and you know, it's it's certainly more exciting to talk about the drama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what gets the most press, I feel like, or you know, amongst all of us, we like to all like to dish occasionally, and so we like to talk about the person who's you know not being the team player or mm-hmm. pulling us all down. Um, But yes, I think in general, most uh, actors that I've worked with and that I know are amazing, empathetic people Mm -hmm. because you have to be to be able to step into somebody else's shoes and make them uh, an empathetic person.
1: Yep. Well, yeah. I I wonder if we kind of overrepresent those examples in our heads of like – those kind of caddy people who succeed where you go you actually did pull someone down and it helped you. but I'm like most of the time that doesn't work. Most times like great for for this month you got to sing the extra song or you got to do the thing, but then people remember that and it doesn't in the long run That's and' right. benefiting you for most people, you know. I always feel that way with networking. Like all, all, basically every actor is like, I hate networking. I don't. I hate that. Oh, this person's so good at it. I'm like, but if everybody thinks that person's so good at it, then everybody also kind of feels that person's a little false or a little. They're like, oh, she's really putting herself out there, and you know, she's really so good at it. And I'm like, I don't know if that's actually working. If if it feels right. like that to everybody, if it feels you know false.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Why don't we take a short break uh, so we can run a couple ads, and then we'll come right back. Okay. All right, we are back with the great Carrie Butler, the kind Kerry Butler maybe more important <laughs> than the great Kerry Butler. Um, okay, can we get nerdy with some inside baseball? This is inside baseball about inside baseball. So sure. I- I'd love to dive into your podcast a little bit and especially mm-hmm. maybe to start with the impetus behind it. So, you know, let's posit both of us have kind of a mission of demystifying access to the industry for our listeners. It seems like that's somewhere in the ethos of what you're trying to do. If that's true, what do you think is most mystifying about the industry. So where where do we have it all wrong? Where are the places where young people, uh, you know, are confused? Where are the places you're thinking, I need the most help with this?
0: Well, my podcast started because on Instagram, I got asked over and over again, how do I break into the business? Mm-hmm. And it was like, God, I can't answer all these. <laughs> so it was a selfish reason. You I can't do like, individual oh God, DMs. I go through yeah. and answer all these DMs and tell mm-hmm. them. So I started doing it on my Instagram. I started making, like, stories, like, this is how you do it. And then Dory was starting the Broadway Podcast Network. And I was like, you know, I think this might be really helpful for people. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it started. And um, now I kind of – so my first few episodes were, I think, really helpful. You know, like, how do you get an agent? Mm -hmm. And I think they're helpful even for people in the industry, a lot of my – podcast episodes um but now I kind of how I pick my information is just based on like when I'm teaching what I see people doing mm-hmm. that I'm like why mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, like how do you not know that that you should you know not be doing that right now uh and even like practical things like when I was in college they didn't teach us about, like how expensive it was to live in this city uh-huh. and how you have to have a second job and how that job has to be able to let you go on auditions. So I did all – my last series um, for Breaking Broadway was pretty much all about side hustle uh-huh. and like what jobs are the best jobs for people to take while they're trying to make a career and and, and things like that and how you can have something that's kind of in the business but –
1: Totally. No, you often talk about you don't want it to be too good of a side job. If that's it's like right. too exciting and pulling too right. so much of your energy, it, it's you know of course it's high paying would be good. But you're like if it's really kind of tempting me and now I'm not doing the EPA's, like you're not going to do that. You're not going to uh-huh. do the EPA. You're not going to go to it.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. What somebody somebody on my podcast, they were like, don't take that job, that bartender job where you're making you know five hundred dollars a night. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get trapped there mm-hmm. and you're not gonna be hungry enough to go on those auditions. It's so
1: true. It's so true. Yeah, because these are all low expected value auditions when you're especially if it's an EPA or something, you go, right. I'm probably not gonna book it anyway. Why am I get up at 5 a.m.? Yeah, so it's so it. easy. It's so easy to do. Especially when you're not 23 anymore. You know, it feels like maybe the first year you're like, I can do it, I'm full of energy. And then mm-hmm. you are twenty-seven, you go, Do I still have this that much fire in me? Yeah. Well, I guess I'm interested in like so maybe from the Instagram and maybe from podcast feedback, you know, but also I know you um, coach individually. Um, what are you finding um, the, that they sort of youths if we're gonna be um, terrible about saying about young people to say like what don't what don't they know though what, what what do you feel like you're you know when you say I'm so shocked that you don't know this thing like uh, what are the, the the big places where you felt like they ha- they had a lot of questions or where you still feel like even despite the information being out there people seem to still be confused
0: well like one example would be, You know, if I work with somebody on a song or they're in one of my classes Mm -hmm. and we work on a song over and over and over again, that song should be one of your main songs that you use to audition, I think, because you've put in the work, you know, Mm -hmm. like I also have this digital course that I've been working on and I go through all of my steps when I'm working on a song and it's like a ton of work that I put in, you know, like what's your subtext? What's the other person doing Mm -hmm. or saying? How does it connect to you personally? All this stuff. And I mean, we would work on, I would work on a song with my students for weeks. Mm -hmm. So if you put, are you going to, and then you get this audition and you're just going to pick something that you've never worked on and try and Uh learn it in the last minute in one minute. Other people are going to be doing those songs that they've worked on and that are amazing that they've, and so you're already starting at a big disadvantage.
1: Yep. So true. So So true.
0: things, Things like that.
1: It's, you know, it's an interesting thing. I never feel older than when I'm talking about the internet and the difference in generations, but it's an interesting thing in the post-internet world that like so much information is out there. Like, there, yes. it, it, you know, like your course, your digital course, but, and also like YouTube has, you know, I, I was with, you know, teaching Shakespeare. I'm like, everything Mark Rylance has ever done is on YouTube. Like, go watch it. Like it's unbelievable, <laughs> you know, but, but that th- there's so much access to information. And yet I don't find a lot of young actors who are like deeply, deeply knowledgeable, different than our generation. It doesn't feel like like the, somehow the, the ability to have, um, I guess, imbibed all, all of the internet, which exists out there, there are not a lot of people who are like, I'm actively using all of that information that I could get from podcasts and I can get from YouTube and I can get from you know all these resources. It, it, it's interesting to me that I think a 24 year old today doesn't feel like way more educated about acting than a 24-year-old did 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, if you go on TikTok, you get just get sucked into mm-hmm. watching nonsense. Uh-huh. And so it's almost like you have to set time aside to like pay attention to the things that can really help you. Yes, And yes. monitor yourself. And I, same thing happens to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to keep growing and I want to keep using my time to grow as an artist and don't want to get sucked into <laughs> to watching all things I shouldn't.
1: Well, it's it's totally, so, and, and it's talking about the difference between like deeper learning versus those like quick, you know, exactly. delicious snacks where you go, yeah. what's the chip yeah. and what's the trick? Do this, okay? Carrie said, do a song I've worked on before. Got it. That's like an easier bit of learning than like really diving in and doing the work on a piece. Like yes. th- that's what I feel like most. You know, most of our students, when we seriously see the differences, they'll know the kind of headlines actually significantly more than our students did 15 years ago they're aware of you know sort of the bullet points what are the big stuff but very few of them have deep dived and really learned stuff on a a deeper level occasionally someone does and we go my god that student is on it and they know you know they know the stuff but but it feels like it is it's so hard to resist the tiktok so hard to resist just do these five things just sing the song you'll get into michigan you go but that's that's not how it is. It's not like you can't just chick pick the song and put pick the outfit and you're done. Like it's it's never the quick fix. It is always the sort of the deeper learning.
0: Yeah, I had um Caitlin Hopkins. I know you had her too yes. on my podcast, and like she gave wealth of information on getting into college. But what do you tell people are the best ways to? Let, and Caitlin said something really interesting on my podcast. She said she doesn't care if people sing like an overdone mm-hmm. song. Like I would think like it would be better to pick something that maybe everybody isn't singing, but she was like, no, if I know it, I'm okay with that. I know what, what notes they need to hit.
1: Yep. What, so, what a great example of like, when you look at the college process, there is no one right answer of like, yes. do super obscure or do super well known, right? Like, yeah, cause that yeah. is opinion. I mean, the, and even right. if you try to like get them all to write down, like what are the most overdone songs? Overdone is not normally about like, what is actually sung the most on a quantitative level, it's sort of like, oh, not this song again.
0: It's like, oh, you just don't
1: like that song is what it really means. And often it might mean it's got like a trap to it or if there's a monologue and it's got like a punchline at the end that I'm kind of waiting for, it's not as exciting for me to watch because I'm waiting for the playwright to finish their job as opposed to sort of fi- watch you finish your job. So there's some songs like that which are mostly more uh, of opinion.
0: Which ones do they not want to hear? Now
1: you're trying to get me to do the TikTok trick. Now you're trying to get me to do the simple, quick fix. No, but really, there aren't like, you know.
0: Just, I just want to make sure I don't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Like, don't make me walk in this room. No, because as soon as I could name one, someone else would go, you know, I don't mind that one. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. you know, I, I've literally heard people saying, li- I'm fine with on my own. You know, it's like, we wouldn't recommend you walk into a Room and sing on my own. That's not like a, a you know a general recommendation. I wouldn't walk recommend you walk in a room and do to be or not to be. But somebody goes, I don't mind it, and it's a great piece, and it works, and there's a reason it's famous, and there's a reason it's successful, and if you do it great, you know. I think my biggest advice would be, it, it is what about what you do with the material more than the material. You know, mm. pe- people are so often. Looking for, just tell me what are the two pieces? My friend did these two pieces; they got into Carnegie Mellon. I should do those two pieces. That's going to work. I'm like, but right. that's that's that was your friend. That's not you. Yeah. you know, if you are just like your friend and you happen to have those exact connections of the material, sure. Those aren't bad pieces. But not going to be exciting
0: anymore because they already saw your friend do it.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, they're going to go. They already. I already have. You know, I have Charlie at Carnegie Mellon. I don't need to take another. You know, Charlie. I don't need specifically. You know, to, to see what worked before. It, it is about what you do with the piece so much more than like you know, what the piece is. I think so often our families, whether it's about material selection, so many of the sort of strategic stuff, and there's a lot of strategy to the way you approach the process. But so often people are looking for like, what are the tricks that allow me to kind of like subvert the room? Like, what are the things I can do that before I even get into the room, I know I'm going to do well. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to think about it. Like, what is the strategy to prepare me for the moments in the room? Because like in the room is where you're actually going to Book the college in the room is where you're going to make the connection. It's not, you know, you want to think about yes, what are the pieces you do? What are the clothes you wear? Have you practiced your interview questions? Sure, you know, but you're not going to be able to do enough preparation that you don't still have to show up in the room and have the experience, right? It's why some people who don't spend tons of time and tons of money and ton, tons of energy on this process can do really well if they can show up really organically, really as their, themselves. They pick some pieces that they love, even if they're UNESCO, even if it's not the best choice in the world, but they go, I love this material. If they're present in the room and having the experience with the college faculty, the college faculty might fall in love with them. They go, I know what to do with this kid. Yeah, I'll get them new material. I'll get, this is, They didn't present themselves exactly right, but I see the talent and they're here. Versus if you're trying to do all of these things sort of in advance to say I'm protected from needing to show up vulnerably in the room because I've made all the best choices, that's where sometimes, you know, college will talk about it can feel overcoached or it can feel, Um. you know, feel slick. It's like you don't want to walk in feeling slick. You want to walk in like a student who's open and ready to learn.
0: How do you how, how do you help them find a monologue? Like, do you just have a wealth of information about, like, different monologues and things like that?
1: We do. And, you know, all of our coaches, we have a lot of different monologue coaches who are on the team with MTCA who, you know, have material. And that is probably the biggest area where we will present material to you because I think... Most students, other than maybe like Googling, what is a good monologue, yeah. have not read a lot of plays. They're, not, they're no. not in that place to go. You know, they might go, I like this one play, and we go, okay, great, but maybe this character's not quite right for you, but let's find something else from this playwright that works for you or that, that is more appropriate. You know, so we certainly do present monologues to a student, though, you know, the way that we do it, we always, you know, we first do a consult with a student, we really get to know them, think about like, what do they want to present in terms of their larger package? So within the course of three monologues, what are the things I want to show about myself? And then hopefully in the material itself, you're going to have a dramatic piece, maybe a comedic piece. Maybe there's a lighter, you know, more naturalistic piece. We'll have a couple of different options that are kind of going to triangulate so that you're telling the story of Charlie, just like your agents try to do them. Yeah. I'm trying to walk in yeah. there and go, this is Charlie. This is who I am. you know. Um, and then we're trying to mm-hmm. present you voices that you might not have heard that feel like they fit you and, and the different things that you can do, right? So,
0: so do you interview them first just to see like, yes. ah, Yes, we spend an hour heart. just chatting with
1: them, you know, talking about how, how, what are you like as a human being? We ask a big list of questions and we're trying to dive into like, how would you want to walk in the room? Let's not even worry about monologues, Let's not worry about, you know, the specific playwrights. Sometimes they'll know a playwright or two and we'll go, oh, you love that playwright? Great. And so that could be then something we present. But more yeah. often than not, our musical theater students especially aren't like, I love Itamar Moses and I love, you know, they don't tend to know, playwrights, but they might say, you know, my friends say I'm really kind of sarcastic and funny. We go, okay, great. We can show you some sarcastic, funny material that maybe will feel like you. And then they'll read it out loud and we'll talk about it. We'll see what pieces feel like they they excite you. What do you want to work on? What do you want to dive into? What are you curious about?
0: That's great. That's a great program.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'd love to talk about, you know, we're both sort of coaching youth for the, the future of the industry. What do you think about sort of you know, ten years from now, what are we going to be like? So we're navigating a strike still as we record this. There's still is yeah. an actor strike going on, yeah. just sort of out of the writer's strike, uh, quasi at least. You know, Broadway feels like right now is still kind of returning to normal, right? You know, yeah. uh, we were just in Times Square the other day; like it's not normal. It's not what it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. What yeah. is this world looking like
0: ten years from now? What do you think? I, don't th- I think we will get back. I think because I think during COVID, I I even had like this eye-opening experience. Um, where performing theater was always felt like something selfish because it was something that I loved to do and it was like my dream. And I, you know, I always felt like award shows were kind of silly because we're like, Mm -hmm. we already, like getting to have this career is the reward. Like Mm -hmm. that is the icing on the cake and we're not that important. But during covid i feel I, I really started to see after when the world was so divided and looking out on our audience in beetlejuice and seeing people of you know all different colors all different races all different religious backgrounds just laughing together and seeing each other's humanity i was i was really moved and still am like oh this is the greater purpose mm-hmm. of theater like i see it so clearly now how we can get people to feel things and how we can get them to laugh together and just connect with each other, strangers. Like I remember – and I found that even more so after Beatles Beetle just closed and I was in the audience and just like mm-hmm. talking to the people around me and like hitting them, like laughing hysterically with strangers. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like it's it, our future. We have to grab onto it. It's going to grow. It's just mm-hmm. taking a little bit longer than we hoped. Yep. But it's 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 gonna it's gonna be back to to normal, even better, I think.
1: Yeah. And um, are are we what what comes after? I mean, this is now. I'm truly asking you to prognosticate of something that I, I have no idea. of. But what comes after if if eventually, let's say, we move past this sort of like pop musical phase,
0: uh-huh.
1: what comes next? Like, I, I, or or is it continuing to be more and more pop? Like, do we think Broadway is going to become? Where it's like we have six taylor swift musicals or whatever like like is that that is that where we're going you know is there something beyond sort of because it feels like that is now what most of what is coming down the pike still too it's not even just like what is i mean
0: but if you think about it jukebox musicals were always around
1: Mm -hmm. we just
0: you know like even judy garland like all of them did that they did and so it's like we have this there's room for everything of course. You know? And and We're, some
1: great Juke, Jukebox musicals. I'm not an anti-Jukebox oh, no, musical. no, I know. Yeah. I know, Over. but I
0: mean, like, you know, there's always criticism about, like, the movie musicals. Like, every... Mm-hmm. And this is just always... It's always... We always go through these phases, and we... And it's just... It is what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's still room for great original musicals, like Town, yes. um, And so, I don't think it's going to be only one thing. But, you know, it is... Broadway, especially, is... You know, for money and for tourists. Yeah. So that's going to be what it is, and and yeah, now we're getting into, um, you know, Melissa Etheridge is on Broadway now doing her one person show. So and mm-hmm. I think we're getting more into maybe, like you said, maybe a Taylor Swift musical. I w- I would not doubt that for, for anything. <laughs> I like think that would
1: sell pretty well. Yeah. But you saying <laughs> I mean, it's just getting wider, the kind of pop that's on Broadway, or the kind I, of I think so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah. But I do think that there is and will be room for everything.
1: Yeah. And do you, are you a, a technologist? Are you into like the AI of it all? Like I, I'm sort of wondering, I'm like, are we all gonna be replaced by podcast robots in 10 years? I mean, ah! is that gonna be like, what? what is, you know, I, I, we have not yet really seen, we've seen technology uh, um, present on Broadway, but we haven't really seen the like, you know, it feels like we're at the cusp of, of what is a hybrid streamed Broadway experience that almost feels like it could shift to something different. Um, And I kind of wonder what that is, especially because you're also talking about the antithetical part of that, which is the live experience and being and rubbing shoulders and not sitting on your couch watching a a Broadway musical.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Did you see Here Lies Love?
1: Mm -mm, I didn't. I haven't yet. We're going to see it. It's on our list. We have have four four shows that we're trying to see in the next month and we're trying to book babysitters as we speak.
0: (laughs) I mean, Here Lies Love is just like... I mean, for sure, something completely new, you know, where Alex mm-hmm. took out all the seats. And I, I, I did it two times now, and I was on the floor both times. Mm. And it's just like such an incredible experience. So incredible he did that. So, you know, there's always, who knows? (laughs) I just don't think about it. I just, you know, I just trust that whatever is meant to be, we're going to be fine. And
1: And there'll be a part for Carrie Butler in one of those shows, hopefully. We hopefully go, and I will take that part. But
0: I think Kierlai's love just shows that, like, we don't know what, because who would think you would take all the theaters out of a Broadway state theater, you know? Who would think that's possible? Who would think anybody would be crazy enough (laughs) to do that? Yep. (laughs) And oh my gosh, it's an incredible, incredible experience and really fresh and like nothing you've ever seen before.
1: That's super cool. Um, Okay, well, what if we wrap with, I just, I often ask our our guests sort of uh, about advice. Um, Is there a piece of advice that you feel like You know, you wish maybe you knew before you you started out, but you know maybe you get asked it a lot on your pod, and you go, "I I would have been asking this question of my version of Carrie Butler back then."
0: I always ask, like, "Oh, what would you say to your younger self?"
1: That's I often ask that exact question. Yes, answer it. (laughs) Have you answered on your pod, or is this the first time we get you to answer it now?
0: I I don't think I have answered it. (laughs) Let's go. I mean, I've 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 said this a lot, but not on my podcast or anything like that. Um, so I was, you know, a big nerd and always like super afraid of what people thought of me and. And I think that's where my acting – maybe that was why I got the probation letter, you know, because Mm -hmm. I was just – I wasn't free. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: once I embraced the things I was so afraid of the world seeing, like I embraced my nerdiness, Mm -hmm. I embraced my quirkiness, that is when I um, got work and found myself. Mm. So it's like when I embraced that I don't have to be like everybody else – when I let go of what of being afraid of what people thought of me, that was a big one, you know. And just could be like, I don't care. I don't care what the results are. I'm just gonna throw paint at this wall. I'm just gonna do it. I'm not gonna worry about people laughing at me. Uh-huh. And I think you know, like as a child, I was like bullied and made fun of a lot. And so I think that's where that came from. And and now it's like even, you know with anything I do, like if I get bad reviews, I, I'm, it's so easy for me to like, just let it go.
1: <laughs> and you, where, what was the experience, I guess, of being, feeling trapped? I mean, I don't mean to trigger you and make this a whole therapy session, mm-hmm. but, but was it, were you literally hearing negative thoughts? Were you hearing, don't do that, Carrie, that's stupid. Or wh- what made you feel like in acting school when you were, because I certainly think many young actors know that experience. If feeling stuck or feeling held back. But, but you know, if you're thinking about, like, how you were able to release that, like, what was that experience? I
0: don't think – it wasn't voices in my head. It was more, like, wanting to please people uh-huh. and wanting – and instead of just being,
1: uh-huh.
0: wanting to be what people thought I should – or what I thought I should present to the world. I didn't know I was funny back then. So once mm-hmm. I found out I could be funny – because I had no, again, no training in school or anything like that. My parents did take me into the city for acting lessons, but I never found out that I could be funny. And mm-hmm. and being funny, you have to be okay with people laughing at you. And I was always right. so, like being embarrassed to me would be the worst possible thing that uh-huh. could happen.
1: And then once you embrace that, yeah.
0: And now I'm just like. Yeah, I'm fine with being embarrassed. I'm
1: that's what's well, interesting. You're talking about Beetlejuice. That's not, not so dissimilar to what Alex Brightman would talk talked about on the pod of sort of him really? embracing the mistakes. Like once you can really get into like this might be terrible, yes. that's where you find this might be awesome or whatever. You, yes. you have to sort of find that release. That's interesting. I mean, I think that's not too it's not too dissimilar to what was holding me back in school, which I feel like was almost always about like my relationship with confidence. I think as like a young person. And I, you know, I often talk about it with our young, uh, um, our, our students, you know, that I think young 17 year olds often are like, re- are afraid of confidence in a way that I think I was too, of like, like I sort of was worried about being cocky. I was worried about people are going to view me like owning my space in a, a negative way, you know, six four and I have a low mm-hmm. voice and that people are going to sort of be like, oh, he thinks so much of himself. And I I think I found myself just like twisting myself in knots so hard to not take up space. I still do it sometimes. Wow. But but trying so hard not to like be confident, even though actually inside was like, I'm perfectly confident. I know I'm good. I know I'm whatever, you know, but that I sort of wasn't letting myself just like be as good as I was, exactly where I was. Not, you know, not more so, not not sort of arrogantly like I'm better than everyone else, but um yeah, I, I, I definitely had a lot of those experiences in the school of just being like, just make sure everyone knows that you like don't think too much and that you're not, yes. you know, you really yes. just
0: w- worried about those silly kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So cool. Um, well, Carrie, if more people want to hear more things from you, we know they can check out Breaking Broadway on BPN uh, yes. alongside us, uh, this wonderful, our wonderful podcast network. Are there other places, socials and such that you like people oh. to follow?
0: So many, and just to be super confusing, they all have different handles.
1: Okay, and you spell your name slightly <laughs> differently in each one yes, is you're saying. This, and
0: this is something that young actors should never do, I learned on my podcast. <laughs> so do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on Instagram, I'm Carrie Butler1.
1: Uh-huh. With I, two I also T's? Have- Butler with two T's this is this?
0: No, you know, no, 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 KB. <laughs> um, B-U-T-L-E-R. Yep. I'm also Carrie Butler coach on Instagram because I didn't uh-huh. want to bombard my regular like fan base with all of my coaching inspirational posts.
1: So Carrie Butler coach, Carrie Butler one. Okay, great. And are there other things that you follow? And
0: then on TikTok, I'm oh, Carrie no. Butler NYC.
1: Oh no, <laughs> Carrie Butler NYC on TikTok. Okay, great. This is not so hard yet. What are we um, on LinkedIn or what else? What else we got? Oh,
0: I am on LinkedIn, but I'm kidding. No yeah, one I think should I'm should just following me on, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'm on TikTok, yeah. but I, I'm 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 on Twitter, but I'm I'm not posting on Twitter anymore. I'm, I'm right. boycotting. Twitter. You're Xing out but, of,
1: of of Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but are you a big TikToker? Have you enjoyed the? the dive? I
0: do. I feel like Beal Juice was huge on TikTok, so uh-huh. I kind of yeah. I'm making TikToks for mostly like for my podcast, kind of like acting advice, yes. things like that.
1: I love it. And are you also consuming social media? What What is your relationship with social media consumption?
0: Ugh. Yeah, I'm addicted, unfortunately, and I oh, definitely no. try not to be.
1: Okay, Carrie, that's the second half of the podcast. Where we spend another hour <laughs> de addicting you to uh, the to social media. I love it. But you and is TikTok your your drug of choice?
0: No. No, Instagram. Instagram.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. that's an eight. That's yeah. our generation is more.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I try and set like I try and set alarms for myself to mm. not. <laughs> And then I turn them off. You work right
1: through the alarm. You snooze right through that thing. <laughs> what is now? I'm getting too too deep on you. But what is the um? What's filling your Instagram? What are you What are you swiping on constantly? Um, are you look well, other friends or right
0: now? I'm swiping on uh two things, um, the war Oof. and dogs.
1: The war and dogs. So you make yourself feel terrible you and then you make yourself feel out. better. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah,
0: I need, I need a good dog video or an animal video as soon as I watch something horrible uh, about the war happening.
1: That's so interesting. I, I have not yet flipped over to Instagram becoming political for me. I mean, Twitter is political and Facebook has been political content. I've yet to sort of have Instagram...
0: Well, my I feel like you can't escape it right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't look that out. But uh-huh. then once I start seeing it, I get drawn in. I'm like, oh my yeah. god! Yeah, I have to do something. You know, like it's.
1: Yeah, totally, so. totally. Elizabeth will spend hours looking at housing. You know, we just like we just bought an apartment too. I'm like, we just did this, and she'll just be Zillow all day.
0: I I like that too. I haven't done that in a while, but I do. We, we, me and my family would be interested in like going to open houses just even if you're not looking and stuff
1: like that. Totally. No, it's so fun. But you know, she'll be like, Do you follow this like Zillow crazy blah, blah, blah? I'm like, No, I don't. You're doing this consciously. You're forcing yourself. (laughs) It's a great follow. It's a great follow.
0: I know that. I know that site actually too. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's terrible. So follow Carrie Butler one and crazy Zillow whatever. <laughs> um, all right awesome Carrie this was just so fun having you on so
0: fun having you on thank you so much thanks for that those great tips you bet heck
1: yeah that was a fun one. Um, you may have noticed no game this time since we were running it on both of our feeds and I think it felt a bit too presumptuous to put our kind of gimmick on Carrie's feed. But that doesn't mean the games are gone forever. There is at least one more upcoming a- episode without a game which I won't spoil for you. But in general we're still waiting on the feedback. You can email us at mailbag at mappingthecollegedition.com if you want them to be done forever. But for now they shall endure unless I hear enough complaints from all of you so far most of what we heard is that you like the games which could be you just buttering me up but i'll take it i enjoy a bit of butter on this thanksgiving weekend or really pre-thanksgiving weekend whatever it's about to be thanksgiving soon enough you all know what i mean i'm grateful for all of you um i said it in the interview and i don't really need to add anything to it but i will just bear repeating since we're here doing some takeaways just the importance of kindness you know. That's not like a kumbaya that everybody needs to spread the love kind of thing. I I do really mean it from the perspective of if you want a sustainable career in this industry, you want to be kind, you want to be easy to work with, you want to be someone people like having in the room. I don't think that is unique at all to this industry, but it is emphasized because there are so many talented people who can do the job that if you're not able to be professional, if you cut down your fellow castmates, if you're someone who makes the process all about themselves, there's likely someone else out there who is at least 99% as good as you who is none of those things. So be kind. It will be a kindness to yourself. But I do want to talk a bit more about this idea that we hit on in the interview of quick fixes versus doing the work. I know I definitely said a version of what I'm about to say in the interview, but I want to expand on it a little bit more. Um, Carrie pointed out how much of it may be due to the kind of TikTok of it all with this generation, but it is just the whole thing with acting. I mean, I love that Carrie talked about her tenacity. She said she wasn't the most talented person in her class, but she was able to work and grow through adversity and create this amazing career for herself that she's had. We so often make the comparison of athletes and artists on this podcast and have pointed out that the best prospects don't always make the best professionals. In fact, a startling amount of the time, those deemed the most talented in high school are not the most successful professional athletes. You know, LeBron James is the exception, not the rule. Most of the best current athletes started off with potential, of course, without a doubt, but most were not ranked at the top of their high school class. Time and time again, we see that hard work and tenacity overcomes a talent deficit every single time. Which is all to say, you are very likely not one quick fix away from nailing your college auditions or booking your first Broadway show. You are very likely not one tip, one trick, or one TikTok video away from the information you need to succeed. That's the bad news. But the good news is that you are likely already have the tools you need at your disposal and or you can easily find the resources you need to set you up in the right direction. And then you are only as far away as the distance between you and consistent regular practice. It's boring, but it works. And you will be amazed how much that doesn't necessarily need to be a Herculean effort. Right? small changes made consistently over time are so incredibly effective and we all know this intellectually but it just goes against the grain of how we want it to be we know you know if we want to get healthier with our bodies that small sustainable changes to our diet and exercise are so much more effective than starving ourselves or doing some insane workout program we're not going to be able to maintain but are we willing to put in the time and have the patience for that process to take hold The same is absolutely true artistically. Whether you're making subtle improvements to your dance ability, your vocal ability, or trying to improve as an actor, change can happen slowly, 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 and then all at once you wake up and go, I am a different actor. But that doesn't happen in a binge or in an Instagram reel as much as I want you all to follow us on Instagram at Mapping the College Edition. That comes from putting the phone away and doing productive work on your craft. 30 minutes a day can make a huge, huge difference, even over a short amount of time, like a few weeks or a few months. You know, we often hear from our students this effusive praise after the process of, oh, MTCA, I couldn't have done it without you. You got my child into Michigan. Or you made me such a better actor, singer, dancer, etc. And I'm always demure with these comments, right? Not because I'm humble. You know, you heard me trying to fight for the quiet confidence on this podcast, and I am very proud of the work MTCA does. I think we're the best, and for good reason. But the reason I'm so demure with these comments is because we didn't do the work. My response is always, you got yourself into Michigan, or you made those improvements as an actor. All I did was give you some tools. But the point is, it is always the student doing the work, and it just has to be. That's the only way that it works. You know, I've told this story on the podcast before I think of one of my former students who called herself a dancer first and had never had an acting lesson before meeting me spring of her junior year. So she'd never done any real acting before meeting me spring of her junior year. By fall of her senior year, she was one of the best young actors I have worked with and ended up getting into Carnegie Mellon based largely on her acting ability because they didn't have a dance audition. Now, was I giving her any secret tips or tricks that I wasn't giving all of my other students? Of course not. She was doing the work. We met weekly, and each week she came in having clearly worked on the pieces significantly in her own time. She had questions, she had thoughts on the exercise I was giving her for homework, and additional thoughts to try out in our time together. Of course, she also had natural intelligence, she also had natural talent, but lots of young actors do. Not everyone has the work ethic to really stick to a consistent routine and treat it like their job. And that doesn't mean that every young student who's really willing to do the work is going to get into Carnegie Mellon or book that Broadway show, right? We know there's a lot of luck and variance in this process, too. But we do see consistently over the years the ones that do tend to truly succeed in this process and into their careers, even if those careers don't end up being performers, are the ones who are willing to put that work in. It is a life skill that separates the wheat from the chaff and it is especially important in this competitive field where you cannot just rest on the laurels of your, of your talent or your intelligence. So I urge you all, commit to your routine let it be realistic and sustainable, and then really, truly, actually do it, right? You don't need to keep switching up. What is the thing that I'm doing? Should I look at this TikTok video? Is this a better way to be doing? Should I be switching my material? You need to think about what is the routine of what I'm gonna do to improve and then actually make those improvements. That is how you could end up with a career of 12 Broadway shows and counting like Carrie, you know, along with the great deal of kindness and of course being blessed with natural talent as she is. But that is much more than anything that you could find in a Buzzfeed article or watch someone tell you in a TikTok video if someone says do these three easy things to be a success please run the other way you are falling victim to an algorithm and an unfortunate wiring of our human brain chemistry there is no quick fix to avoid hard work in this process or in this career and that kind of hard work ends up being by far the better predictor of long-term success compared to something as elusive and subjective as talent well, speaking of elusive and talented, this episode was produced by Megan Cordier. Special thanks to Kimberly Garris from BPN for helping coordinate our home and home episode, and thank you to Carrie as well. If you want to follow us on Instagram and TikTok, in spite my many protestations of its evils, please do so at mapping the College Audition and MT College Auditions on TikTok, respectively. We try to be like Carrie and have different tags for each of our platforms, just to confuse you as much as we can. And of course, you can check us out on our website, that's For help with your individual college prep needs. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, do you want to see a Glee reboot with Carrie in the Matthew Morrison role? I'm into it. You had me at Glee Reboot. We'll see you next week.